It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. From the Fifth Quarter Studios in Madison, Wisconsin, you're listening to Coach Unplugged. And now, your host, Steve Collins. Hey, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Coach Unplugged. I'm so happy you decided to join us today. Before we jump into the podcast, I'd like to give a big shout out to our sponsors. First of all, Dr. Dish, the number one shooting machine on the market. I think my record, I, I forget. I always want to say it's 47, but I think it's 27 seconds to take this thing. It's so easy to set up and take down. Um, it, it's so nice with the screens now and how it comes with workouts and things for the players to do. Um, you, you will not be disappointed in it. Mention Coach Unplugged, they'll give you $400. You said it right. I, I went to them and I said, I got to take care of my people. Uh, 350 is not enough. You mentioned Coach Unplugged, and they'll give you $400 off your next purchase. So go over and check it out. Also, go over and check out teachhoops.com for coaches who want to get better. It's what allows me to put this podcast out every day. It's what allows me to put all the free resources and things I do out into the world. It pays the bills. So go over and check it out. 14-day free trial. It is a one-stop shop for basketball coaches. It is everything that you need. You get my email address. You're able to contact me. You're able to jump in our office hours. You're able to find anything. If we don't have it, we'll find it for you along with a 14-day free trial. So go over and check that out. Also, we'd love if you love these podcasts. Um, we'd love you if you went over and checked out High School Hoops or the 5-Minute Basketball Coaching Podcast or the Funnel Down Defense Podcast. We'd love if you go check those out. We'd also love if you left a five-star review. All right, let's head off to the pod. Let's head off. Before the quick hitters, I mean, any questions about any of those? No, yeah. So, a couple things. How do you how do you name your num your out of bounds plays, or how do you call them? So my uh, blobs, I'll just go numbers. Okay. Um, I'll add kind of a nugget trick with this to help the kids remember. Sometimes I will the number based off of who I want scoring. Okay. So if it's a play designed for the one, then that's going to be one. If it's a play designed for the two, then it'll be two. Um, I, this year combined a couple. So those multiple actions that I was talking about, I had a play called 42. That was to help them remember that the four and the two were our two scoring options. So okay. if you want to get really tricky with it, you can do that for, for naming those, um, for the quick hitters. 
I will attempt to do something that I can have a hand signal with, you know, we I, know I love that. I love that too. You get yep. in a big gym. Um, if you're watching this, you can see the backdrop that I have that's attempting to cover the door that the kids are walking through <laughs> is uh, a game that we play every year against our rivals. And there's usually about 3,500 to 4,000 people in the, in the arena for that game. And so right. I can't use my voice isn't going to be enough. I've got to use right. hand signals. So. Yeah, I always say they got to be able to do it with one hand. Like yeah. they got to be able to do it because the point carriers got to be able to dribble up and call it. Sure. About, yeah, I love that. Um, so side out of bounds, do you work on – what I have found is I have to work on both sides of the court. Like when yeah. I reflect it, I'm a math teacher. But when I go to the other – like I can – they will know it on the right side. And all of a sudden when I go to the left side, mm-hmm. the, the, the difference in movement is just enough. Mm-hmm. Um, so I teach other classes as well. Um, you know, we talk about uh, coaching baseball and coaching softball. I feel really bad for the left-handed players that have gone through life with right-handed coaches. You show them how to bat, you show them how to throw. And we all know that that doesn't work like that for left-handed right. players. Right. And I think it's the same. It is the same thing to a degree for playing. Um, I'll talk to, we can talk about this in just a few minutes, or if you want to talk about it now, but actually teaching plays. Um, I think there's a, a good way to go about doing it. And one of those things is to incorporate left side, right side. Yeah. Let's do that at the end. Let's do the quick hitters yeah. and then we'll, we'll, we'll do that at the end. I'll write myself a note. All right, let's do these. Let's do the quick hitters. So I like to do horn sets. Some people hate horn sets. That's completely fine. I'm just going to use them as an example of what okay. I want to talk about. I like horn sets because it immediately gives you good spacing. And I think probably most coaches would say that would be why they like them. You know, you immediately get your players 12 to 15 feet apart, which is what we're always trying to do. I mean, we talk about ball movement, player movement, and spacing all the time. The horn sets usually give you each of those in a kind of pattern manner. Right. And so that's typically why I go about using them. The question I always have asked is, can I run these against a zone? Some of them are great against the zone. Some of them don't work against the zone. So I would make sure if, if you decide this is what I want to use, that you're incorporating enough that can be used when you got a two, three zone or whatever it is. So, um, you know, another reason why I like using what we already talked about, I'm able to have multiple plays out of the same alignment. It's going to be a little bit harder to scout that way. So most of our set plays are going to be out of this horn set and high school, college, especially we've got more opportunities for dead ball situations. I'm saying out of a timeout, you know, we're going to go to ISO. So on this next play down, run ISO, or we'll even script like football players, the first two or three possessions of a game. So the first three possessions down, we want to get this, this, and then this. And I'm usually going after a mismatch or getting the ball into the hands of my best score. Okay. You, know, you know, this basketball is a game of momentum and I want to start the game with as much momentum as I can get. So if I can get, if I can script the first three plays, college coaches are already control freaks right so it makes them feel good anyways but if right. i can get if i can get what i want in those first three possessions then that's going to help us hopefully I, I think i think it's also a um i, I just watched a three-part miniseries on history channel about grant mm-hmm. um the the general and anyway he basically some of his war times things is he was just trying to figure out how the confederates were working Mm-hmm. It's a similar at the beginning of a game. You're just kind of probing, like, sure. how are they going to handle my ball screens? How are they going to do this? Now, that things will change as a game, but that's why I like sometimes – we do it maybe a, a third of the time scripting, depending sure. on who we're playing. But that's why I like it, because it kind of gives me a sense of, 
well, that's not going to work this game. Maybe we have to do go down this road rather than this mm-hmm. one. I, th- I think that's a great golden nugget for some of the young coaches. It's like um, that scripting can be I, – I think basketball coaches steal a lot of stuff from football coaches. I don't think they'll ever admit it, but yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they do. I would say, too, um, you know, for us, we run a lot of – we run a conceptual offense, but we'll, we will set start a lot of games in a – scripted set play right there are other coaches who are going to run a set play every time down the floor i don't want to play like that but you know i'm not averse to doing two or three set plays at the beginning of the game to get what so um this is the example of getting the ball into the hands of your primary scorer who you want to score you know we had a kid who was a mismatch he was too quick for big players he was too big for small players uh, this you just get the ball straight into his hands, clear out a side for him, and let him either go to work, or let him just turn around and back a smaller player down. So that's the principle of getting the ball into your best player's hands. Uh, this one I love. I would encourage every coach to add this to their playbook. This is for you to pick on the most over aggressive player defender on the court, and it's usually a kid who's talking trash and clapping in the face of right. your other other best player just that really annoying kid and he's the one that you want to burn so you throw it to the five the three runs up the line you know he's being face guarded as the kid's clapping in his face and then you break back door and you usually get a wide open layup out of it Um, the principle for the counter to that is if he's being overplayed and you're not able to get the ball to three you immediately turn around and have a handoff and usually the one's not paying attention and so you get a handoff and a drive right to the bucket there so yeah the principle of the counter that we had talked about earlier. Uh, and then this last one here is what we talked about with the consecutive actions. I just wanted to show you something like this. So this is a horn set. The one dribbles down to the wing and you have the handoff immediately followed by the down screen. So there's that back to back action and it incorporates the multiple actions that we talked about, because as you can see on the opposite side of the floor, you have the four setting the pin down for the two. So the four can't just hang out and help defense in the middle of the lane. He has to talk through the two coming off of the down screen on that side. So you could have this for a shooter if you wanted to. So you could do a uh, dribble handoff to three. The three comes off to five screen and then immediately throws it to two for the shot on the wing or drive to the bucket. I like that. I, I, I like the horns too, just for some young coaches in the sense that it's an easy, it's a relatively easy set. And there's, and when you start sketching your own plays out, it's going to put you in the spots that you need to put them. Um, yeah. Oh, I love that. Um, there's been some that I've even run out of a timeout and you know, that's always risky, you know, drawing up a brand new play, yeah. but they're simple enough that if they have a concept of where I already, you know, half your battle is getting them to go to the right spot on the floor. <laughs> Like how many times do you draw something up and then they walk out there and they're like on the wrong side of the floor, the wrong, you're like, that's nothing what I drew up in the play. Right. This one, if I can say, go straight to your horns actions, you know, Jimmy set the pin down for Tommy on that side of the floor. Like that's pretty simple. So it's a real easy way to kind of a hack to give you a new play. If you need to play late game or something like that. I love that. I love that. Can you have any of these, any of these, we could show the video. Yeah, absolutely. So let me switch the screen over let's here. Do, to let's our... do a couple of those, and then we'll come back to that um, teaching how to how to teach these plays. I think that'd be a great golden nugget too. So we use it's basically what every college uses. To be honest with you. Yeah. So can you see the screen? I can. This is our back screen, cross screen, the middle of the floor, and the score. So these aren't going to be wide open because this is that national championship game that I was telling you about. Yeah, so I they know. had they had scouted everything, but just is this against... two? Is this two or three? Is this? 
Um, this is one I don't think that I had put in there. This okay. is, I call this uh, basic because okay. basically every if you run four low, every team in the country runs this play. Okay. It's the five shoots up the, up the lane like he's going to catch the ball, receives a back screen, and while that's happening, this guy comes and sets a screen for your shooter, and then you slip to the basket. So it has those consecutive actions that we talked about. There's your first action, second action, slip to the basket. That's the kid that's bigger than everybody and faster than anybody big that he plays against. I love that. Next one here, screen. This was three that we just talked about. So he could have turned around. Did, you, did your screen, did you change your screen? So that's just the pin down. Can you see that? No, I just see a frozen. They're just frozen. They're not moving. So, yeah. So the first one was just, I love that counter. It, yeah, it was. Um, okay, so that's the second one. Yeah, put the, put the first one. Let me see the motion in the first one. I didn't see the movement on the first one. Is that one? Did you see that one? Yeah, that one I saw. The first one I didn't see. They just were stuck there and they didn't move. I don't know if that was just the. There, that one. Yeah, hit play on that one. Let me see that one. There we go. Perfect. Okay, so that's the rise high screen. screen. And that one, we get a lot of looks on that one, to be yeah. honest. That that last option. The problem is you got to teach him to hold that and believe that it's going to be there. <laughs> I would say that most – I had a Division One uh, coach tell me this. Most of our problems is is that we're not teaching people how to screen the right way. If you watch most Division One games, they're basically just kind of running towards a guy. They don't ever make contact with anybody. Right. You set a good screen, and typically you're going to get something wide open. And I would say too, I had a that was during this season, the end of the year. The kid goes, Coach, they they know all of our plays. And I said, it doesn't matter if they know all of our plays. They can't defend all of the actions if we set the screens the right way. And that's what and how I do you out. so so here's the question: How do you teach screening? So uh, we go slow, we go back and, and go, because what you'll find is they start out with the right technique. We just do it in games. Uh, I mean, we just do it in, in simulated situations. Right. And I will stop them and have them, you know, stop. All right, look, your feet aren't, I mean, everybody knows, right? The feet, right. shoulder width apart, protect your area. You know, don't, no chicken wings. Right. Get set, be on balance, be ready to hit. Actually, no, that's not true. What I will we actually go through it in a warm-up drill. We teach them how to screen in a warm-up drill. So we have a full court warm-up drill where they're just kind of moving up and down. It's a dynamic warm-up and they will start in the corners and they will run to the elbow. And as you approach the elbow, stutter stop. So you're kind of like you're closing out right. one, two, three, get set and then open up like you're rolling to the basket and we'll run to the half court stutter step, stop, then act like you're slipping. So it's a screen and slip run to the other elbow, stutter step, screen, and open up. And so we actually work on it oh, in, I a, love in that. a warm-up drill at the beginning. I love that. Yeah, it's a skill that's that's lost, I think. It really is. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, so this is the second one. So what was the same, same motion? So if you go back to the PDF, two is that screen rescreen. Okay. This is the counter to that where they're, they know that the screen's coming back to the corner, so we just keep going, throw it over the top, that was an all, all region player. So that's a tough shot to make, but you have the second action though, would have been open here in the corner corner because it was the first pin down. And then the second could tell that was in work. Uh, the next one here is our, the basic again, screen and a slip. So, I mean, you, you don't have to, you can run these multiple times and still get, uh, looks at the basket. 
Uh, this is what I was one that I was telling you about against the zone team that played us against the zone the entire time. And we did switch it over and we ran a stack. Okay. And so basically it was just to kind of part the red sea here for this kid. So you have yep. the 34 is going to set a screen on four here. Uh, two is going to run out to the corner to occupy number 20. And then you can't see him, but the kid here in the middle is going to just sit right down to the middle of the paint here. That's why he diagram plays. He gets shots like that. The lane screen catch and then right down the middle of the lane. So, I mean, like you, like you saw before, everything's out of the same alignment. This is, these were all from the regional or from the national tournament. So these teams had seen us play. multiple times. So they know the inbounds plays. It's really at that point, your technique and then being able to make plays reads off of closeouts um, and, and then being good enough to make the shots. Right. I love that. Let me show you one of the inbounds from that sideline here. This is the box set that we were talking about. Okay. Back screen for a score. Score. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So again, these were designed for our our players, particular guys, right? Like right. we knew we we're going to have mismatches, and that was one that we actually earlier in the year had come from about twenty down in a game, gotten that play at the very last play. He scored it. We went on to overtime and won the game. So you hear of these kind of things all the time, right? Where you practice something earlier in the year, it either doesn't work or it does work. And then you pull it out again at the end. That was one like that, that we had used earlier in the year and then pulled out at the end. I like that. Um, let me show you the quick hitters here. This is, I love that. I love that. I love when you set up in the high, high one four. Yeah. And so, they cut across like that. That's just such a hard thing to defend. The um, other thing that you can do with those horns plays is if you like the the one four sets, you can just bring the corner guys up. And yeah. similar to what we talked about with the out of bounds plays, you can basically double your playbook with a lot of your plays right? by running them out of the horn set or out of the four high. And this is the one that we had talked about where they had scouted this national championship game. You have that Iverson cut over the top and they think it's going to be a lob. And so he cheats and goes under. And when he goes under, you have the turnaround, the rescreen. I mean, he's a, that kid. I mean, I've seen that kid shoot twice. He's a scorer because he caught that ready to shoot it. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> so, and two, you know, if, if you have advanced players, you can teach them. If they go under, then we're flipping the screen. If they, right. So, even within that, you can double your playbook by adding additional kind of little tweaks to your to your um is there anything else you'd like to see no no that's great those are great um so let's go back um let's go back and talk about like you were talking about because i know this is part of what you teach about how to um teach plays you were going to talk about that yeah so you may be familiar with uh, coach doug novak up there at bethel in minnesota yes and something he when he was on my podcast we had talked about this it was actually a conversation he's kind of become a friend my uh, in-laws live up there. And anytime I go up there, he's always very generous and makes time for me and talks with me. And something that we had talked about um, at a lunch, I said, oh, coach, I need to get you on the show to talk about this was teaching plays and ways to kind of effectively do that. Uh, 
for years we had set aside time where we'd take a chunk and maybe do five on O and then you run it five on five and how you incorporate it kind of typical for most coaches. What he would do is he would actually teach the new play and everybody would, he would just have one group, his primary group that would run the play while everyone else is is watching. And then they would go on and do skill work. And then at any time when he wanted to, you know, according to his practice plan, he would call them back together and he actually splits up his team into three groups. He'll have his, his starters. He'll have kind of like a second starting group. Yep. And then they have either their, their JV team or their, their gold group. And so he'll just call a group and be like, all right, gold guys, you're up. And you basically get one opportunity to run the play. So it's run the play. And if it doesn't work, he says, nope, that's not right teammates help them out and then they go on and do more skill work. So it's actually the players who are keeping each other accountable and teaching the plays to each other. I love that. If one guy doesn't get it right and it's always random. So we get that randomization that you're not just running through something and then the kids go and and they come back and they kind of forget it. And there's that pressure too to remember it, right? You don't want to be the, the doofus that screws it up. But I find what I find with that from someone that's coached a long time is that's great. And I've used that. I've used that skill before. What I do is make them go to a different position sometimes, too, because what will happen is they'll learn one specific spot. That's mm-hmm. same thing on out of bounds plays. And you never know. You might not be in that spot. You might, right. you know, one of the other elbows if you're running like a, a horn set or something. And that that's what I find. They start cheating the system a little bit. So you got to really work on trying to keep them honest quote unquote about that um and the reality is too you're probably not gonna some of you don't have 15 players right by the end of the year a couple years ago we had nine yeah (laughs) you know and so you may have a kid that has to play a second position or how many times do you practice in your practice with these five and then the game starts and then two of those guys are in foul trouble and you're looking out there on the court with a lineup you're like we haven't practiced anything with this group Right. So I think that can, what you just said, can be a huge asset for actually the games. Um, I would say one of the things that we do a lot of times is we'll play three possessions and we'll start with an out of bounds play and I'll actually, you'll score it. So if you get to, if you get a score off of that, then that counts towards the points where you go to the other end, you play five on five, you come back and then we have a score and then we flip it around, let the other team go five on five and then, or we'll do five on O to five on five and then five on five back. So, I mean, there's plenty of ways you can do it, make it competitive. I even towards the end of the year, a couple of years ago, was just on the fly. I could tell that they were kind of bored with the way that we did it. So I said, all right, best of five. So your team would run an out-of-bounds play. If you scored, you got a point. And then the next team would run an out-of-bounds play. And if they got it, they scored it, they got a point. And then they would huddle back up and say, okay, we're running this play. Because everybody knows that your plays, right? You can't just stand right. there and then call them. So we would huddle up and they would call the play. And they'd come back out and they have to go through every single out of bounds play Well, you get to number five and they knows what's coming. That's where you better set good screens and look for just the tiniest open because you got to get that score to be able to win the five at best out of five. So I like that a couple of ways you can do it, make it competitive. We're always trying to make things competitive. I think that's becoming more of a standard practice, right? Doing either small sided games or competing to some degree. Um, But we try to keep every part of practice as competitive as possible, especially at the college level. I mean, those kids, they want playing time, right? So, you know, what's going to separate? Well, 
How well did you compete in practice? How well did you play with that group that you were with on the floor? And I love small-sided games. I think what Oliver's done is great with all that stuff. I think that, that the problem is I have kids that can't that, – I, te- I have to spend time teaching actual skills too. Sure. It's like, you know, sure. it's so hard. And it's like if you only do one thing, it's like teaching. I've taught for 30 years. If I only lecture all the time, they're going to tune me out. If I only yeah. do group work, they're going to tune me out. I yeah. think a good practice has everything, to be yeah. honest with you. Um, yeah. It's like a good classroom. Um, right. You know, there's more than one way of painting, a, but, uh, you know, doing a painting. You know, if you if we all do the same, right. la- we all we all look at the same landscape and try to paint it. It's all going to be a little different. Um, I think that's important for coaches that are listening too. It's like you got to find what works for you and your players. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're right, variety and competitive, and especially with my guys, is the more competitive I can make it, the better I think it is. Um, so, what do you think the hardest thing to teach is? Uh, I mean, the hardest, as far as hardest goes, I would say the or thing difficult just, for you, you know, or difficult for the players. It doesn't. Yeah, matter. I would say that that at this point, it's the what takes the greatest amount of time to learn, and I think what you just said is is key there. This week on my podcast, actually today, the time of our recording, this is the ten year anniversary of the passing of John Wood. Okay. And so we have a special series this week devoted to John Wooden and people that were affected and impacted by him. And um, something that was said the other day by one of the guests was he knew how the students learned and he catered his teaching to their learning. And, f- you know, I don't know that there's one thing that comes to mind as far as like, what's the hardest thing to teach? The hardest thing is getting my players to understand and, and understand how they learn. So I think it kind of rests more on me than it does on the the student. And I think probably as a younger coach, you're thinking or you don't think and you just teach and you're like, I don't understand why they don't get it. Right. And you think that maybe they're the problem. But I think as you get older, you understand this like I'm the problem. So how can I fix the way that I'm teaching it? And once you realize that some kids are verbal, some kids are kinesthetic some kids are visual you're going to be missing kids are some kids are going to be harder to reach than others and it's not their fault it's your fault it is let me me just give one story so talking about that tactile kinesthetic learner so i'm explaining a play to a kid and i'm saying you need to screen and then i think there was a screen re-screen action you need to screen and then you need to turn this way and rescreen again because if you turn the other way, then the defense can slip through. So it's important that you turn this way. He turned the wrong way like three to five times. Finally, I went out there. I like I showed him. I said, "All right, this way, and then turn this way." He's standing literally almost face to face for me, so I know he can see me. And he went out and turned the wrong way again. The finally, the last time, I grabbed them by the shoulders and said, "All right, we're going to walk through this. You're going to screen and then." turn this way and he started turning against me and I had to with my strength turn him the right way right and as I'm turning him he kind of like let his strength go and turn the right way with me and you could almost see like a light bulb go off in his head like he just had to do it the right way himself right and then he turned the right way right and that wasn't on that wasn't my fault I mean excuse me that wasn't his fault that was my fault I hadn't I hadn't I hadn't reached him. So I would say that the hardest thing is not 
teaching a play or blob or a slob or conceptual offense or the right way to play defense. The hardest thing is communicating so that they can learn so that we can accomplish whatever we're trying to do. And here's a couple of side notes. First of all, it's about knowing, I think the hardest part of, I mean, I'm married to a psychologist, but I think part of the hardest part of coaching is there's plenty of resources, learning out of bounds, play all that. You got to learn your players. Like, Mm-hmm. I, I'll tell you a story. I had a player this year that that he was just like he was have, he was like my sixth or seventh man. He was having a tough day. I had him in class. I knew he was having a tough day. Him and I already talked. And my assistants come in and we're practicing, and he's just like he's just not with it. No one. And I knew at that point he needed to be left alone. He didn't need mm-hmm. to be yelled at. He didn't need to be like corrupt. And I and I would gather him back in, but. Mm-hmm. It's, it's reading, I think the hardest part is, as, especially as a young coach, is learning. you got to spend the time to learn each one of them <laughs> and how they, you know, I was the kind of kid that if you got on me, I took it personally, and I was going to go do it right. I didn't like, it, what coach was just trying to make me better. I, that was the kind of player I was. But a lot of players aren't that way. It's like, I think that read is really, really hard. Um, you know, yeah, we, I just had a guest on that talked about the disc assessment and it's basically understanding your players their personality the things that motivates them their behavioral tendencies you we say this but you don't know it until you know it right and right. it's that you play psychology and psychologist a lot of times as a coach hey everybody if you like the podcast make sure you subscribe like leave a review jump up and down run around your house whatever you need to do also go over and check out teachhoops.com for coaches who want to get better have a great day sports social podcast network